Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. Susie Orman here, and you are listening to the Women in Money podcast. Now, this is not your ordinary money podcast, for there is nothing that I do that is ordinary. So if you want to be the powerful woman that you were born to be in every aspect of your life, then you have come to the right place. We are strong. We are wise. We will not apologize. We are here. We will thrive. Together. Hello there. It is Ask Susie Anything Thursdays. Oh, you might be listening to this on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But it doesn't matter when you listen to it. All that matters is that you listen to it. And let me tell you why. I only wish you could watch me as I am reading your emails that you are sending in. Emails that have questions that you want answers to. And I love that you're writing. By the way, if you want to send it an email with the question, send it into Ask Susie Podcast. That's S U Z E Podcast at gmail.com. And if your email is chosen, then I'll answer it on the podcast. And again, sometimes I answer directly, but you just never know anymore these days. But I only wish that you could watch me because when I read these emails and some of them, not your question, it's never about your question. It's about the advice that you've been given by some so-called financial expert to do this, to do that. No, you've got to do that. And I start screaming at my little iPhone because, you know, I do everything on the iPhone. I don't even use a computer anymore. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about, are we? We are talking about me screaming at my iPhone going, are you kidding me? That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And it's at that point that I then really should come in and answer questions. Because that's when my juices are going. You know, when I used to do the Susie Orman show on CNBC, Amy Feller, my executive producer for the entire time, usually we would tape on a Monday, sometimes a Tuesday. It would be usually right after the weekend. And I would come in and the first thing that Amy would always say to me is, are you angry about anything? Did anything upset you? She would always want for me to be angry about something because we did the very first segment. They were called Susie's Money Logs, but I would say, but this is what today's show is going to be about. And then I would just let it rip. And so that's 
what kind of happens here sometimes on Ask Susie Anything. But I'm going to wait to the very last one that really aggravated me the most on this Ask Susie Anything podcast. The very first email came from Nikki. And Nikki says, Hi, Susie. You have talked about Roth IRA many times and that we can put our emergency fund there because we can take it out anytime. But you never talk about when the market goes down. For example, what if I contributed $10,000 and the market goes down and now it's worth $9,000 and I need the money. So I take out all I have, which is $9,000. By doing so, I just lost $1,000. So how can you confidently say you should keep your emergency fund in a Roth IRA? Now that is a great question, Nikki. But I also always have said, at least when I write you back personally, or hopefully on this podcast, but if not, I'm going to say it now, when you use a Roth IRA as your emergency fund, that money should be kept within the Roth IRA in a money market account, a savings account, someplace that's giving you a nice interest rate because you don't want to have happen what Nikki was talking about, which is the emergency fund is in there. You invested in the stock market. The stock market goes down and boom, you need the money and now you're out. Emergency fund money, money that you need in case of an emergency should never, ever, ever, ever I must really mean that because I think I just did four never, ever, ever, ever's. I usually just do two. But anyway, it should never be kept in the stock market, whether it's in the Roth IRA or in a, you know, investment account, what it needs to be kept liquid, safe, and sound. So that is the answer, Nikki. But guess what? I wrote Nikki back that answer. And Nikki writes me back again and says, okay. I think it will help to stress that it should be kept in a money market fund anytime when you talk about it. I'll do that, Nikki. Good suggestion. But then he goes on to say, but I still don't see the point. Little attitude here. But I still don't see the point of doing that when you can put the money in a bank account. Keeping it in a bank account seems like a simpler option and adds no confusion. Here's the reason why I tell you to put your money in a Roth IRA as an emergency fund. You can obviously always do it in the bank if you want. But let's just say it's all the money you have. You do not have enough to do an emergency fund at a bank and a Roth IRA as well. The reason why I would prefer that you did your emergency fund in a Roth IRA and keep it in a savings account or money market account within your Roth IRA is this. In a Roth IRA, you can only contribute currently up to the max of $6,000 a year if you are under 50, 7,000 a year if you are 50 or older. And usually, one is younger when they don't have the money to put in an emergency fund and a Roth and fund everything. They're either just starting out, they're either just saving a little or whatever it may be. But regardless of your age, if you could put 
6,000 this year, 6,000 the next year, 6,000 the year after that, all of a sudden you have 30 to $50,000 in there sitting in a money market account or a bank account or whatever. But things start to change in your life now. Now you're making more money. And now you have the ability to save an eight-month emergency fund while you are continuing to fund your Roth IRA in a bank account. And before you know it, you have eight months of an emergency fund at a bank account. And now you can turn around and all the money that's in your Roth, all of it, you could start putting in the stock market because you took advantage of what? All those years of it being an emergency fund. So that gives you possibly an extra thirty to $50,000 that you just can't put in in one lump sum. You have to do it yearly, remember everybody? So now you have that much more money in a Roth that never would have been in a Roth that over the next 20, 30, 40 years can grow to be a tremendous amount of money, all tax-free. That's why you do it, Nikki. The next one is from Paola. I kind of like that name, Paola, you know, money, it doesn't matter. Hi, Susie, I have a 401k from a previous employer that I was thinking to roll over to a Roth IRA. Now, before I even go on, I am going to stress again, if you have a lot of money in a previous employer's retirement plan and you want to roll it over and eventually get it into a Roth IRA, please be careful. Because if you take a large sum of money and roll it into a Roth IRA or convert it all at once into a Roth IRA, you're going to owe income taxes on that money. So I doubt highly that you would want to take all the money in a previous employer's account and convert it or roll it into a Roth. Do you hear me? Always consult your CPA as to what it will do to you tax-wise and make the wise decision there. However, Paola goes on and says, I took an investment class. I have to tell you, I got aggravated at this one. I took an investment class this weekend, and the broker suggested that annuities would be a better move. But I'm not sure, since they are insurance, would you recommend annuities or an IRA? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You have money in a 401k. It is already tax-deferred. Why in the world? Would you want to put that money into an annuity? No. You would want to roll that money over if you want to roll it over. If you don't want to just leave it in your previous employer's plan. Remember, we had a little bit of a change in that many of you now are becoming vulnerable to financial advisors who are getting you to take money from a previous employer and do something with it that's not right. So if you feel safe. If you like your previous employer's retirement plan, I would much rather see you just leave it there than do something like this suggestion here with it. So it's in a tax-deferred account. Why would you want to roll it into an annuity? An annuity has a surrender charge. You just don't want to do that. And here's what else I want to just give you a warning about. When you take an investment class and it is taught by a stockbroker, by a broker, by a financial advisor, you just better make sure that that advisor is not using that class as a way to gather clients. 
If they were a great financial advisor, do you really think they have time to teach a course? No, chances are they don't. If they just want to teach a financial course, but they will not allow you to become their clients. They have no financial recommendations that you would make with them. All right, I don't have a problem with that. But don't you dare let somebody teach you a financial course and then say to you, this is what you should do. I can do it for you. And now you become their clients. Don't do it. A teacher is a teacher. A financial advisor is a financial advisor. And the two of them are very different. Now, I am giving you suggestions on the Women in Money podcast, but I am not saying to you, but I want you to then call me and open up an account with me. I'll take your money under management. I'll do this. That is not what's happening here. I want nothing from you, but I sure want a whole lot for you. I want you to be strong. I want you to be smart. I want you to be secure. And I do not want you to be taken advantage of. Got that? everybody. So Paola, stay away from any suggestions that this person gave you. Told you, certain things make me mad. All right. Next one is from Heather. Heather says, I'm a 44-year-old widow with a nine-year-old daughter. Again, before I go on with anything Heather is talking about here, do you understand how things can happen? It's not just the only time a death happens is when you are 80, 85, 90, 95. It can happen at any time. So again, I'm going to say you better hope for the best, but plan for the worst, which means you need a trust. You need a will. When you're younger, you need the right kind of term insurance. You need to protect yourselves just in case. Heather goes on to say, I have been working at the post office since 2014. I make decent money, but I know that I need financial guidance. I have bad credit after losing everyone and everything from staying with the nine-year-old with no income. I am slowly picking up the pieces of my life and I want to give her a good future. Can you or your team. It's always me. I don't have a team, just so you know. I only have KT, but I guess you could say KT is a team. KT is a force. So, but anyway, can you and your team point me in the right direction? Sincerely, Heather. All right. The reason that I wanted to read this particular email and answer this particular email, Heather, is because I understand very well after losing your life because you lost your spouse and you have a nine-year-old daughter who lost her parent. I get wanting to stay at home with her and making sure she is absolutely okay. But now that you are picking up the pieces, here's what you say. I want to give her a good future. I have no doubt that you will give her the best possible future you can. But where are you, Heather, in this equation? Where are you? You don't say to me here, but I want to be okay. I want to have a good future. I want to know that I can just go on. It's still all for your daughter. 
And the greatest gift that you can give your daughter is a future where she sees that her mother values who she is. You know, there's a law of money. And the law of money goes like this. It's my law of money, obviously. But here's how it goes. When you undervalue who you are, the world undervalues what you do. And when you undervalue what you do, the world undervalues who you are. I just want you to think about that for a second, Heather, as you're listening to me answer this question. You matter. You matter big time. And we have got to stop passing on the silent message of less to our children, especially our daughters. It is your job to show them what it's like to be strong, smart, and secure, and to take actions and to want more for yourself. Because when you want more for yourself and you become more yourself, you have more of yourself to give your daughter. And what you can give your daughter of yourself is so much far beyond money, it's not even funny. Her future is in your hands. Yes, financial future, and that will be fine. But let her see that it's okay to give to yourself as much as you give of yourself. Next one is from Ellen. She says, hi, Susie. I am single, 63, and want to get a reverse mortgage to access the $500,000 of equity in my condo for income in my retirement years. I feel that it is the only option I have to get that money without selling my place and moving to another part of the country where I know no one. I live in Silicon Valley, and there is no housing that is less expensive than what I own in this area. Your thoughts on reverse mortgages, pros and cons. Oy. Well, Ellen, the reason that I'm oying is because I really really, especially when interest rates are low, like they are right now, I don't like reverse mortgages. And there are many, many reasons. But before I go into the reasons why, if you're listening and you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, in the same way, when you purchase a home and you borrow money from the bank and you have to pay them your mortgage payments every single month until that home is paid off in full. A reverse mortgage is the exact same process, but rather than you paying the bank, the bank pays you, the mortgage lender pays you. They then take over the title of your home that let's just say you own outright. And based on the value of the equity in your home, your age, normally you have to be 62 years of age or older to take out a reverse mortgage. Normally also, by the way, you need to own your home outright, but there are exceptions to that, but we're just going to assume that for now. And based on the current interest rate environment and how long they think you are going to live, they then send you a monthly check for the rest of your life. If it ends up that you 
become 150 years of age and you've outstripped the equity that's in your home, meaning they've already paid it out to you, they have to pay it out to you until the day that you die. But let's just say you live a normal life expectancy and they've paid out of the $500,000 of equity that Ellen says she has in this home, they've paid her back maybe $200,000 and now she dies. Then there's a formula in everything that her beneficiaries, whoever gets this house, has to pay back that $200,000 plus interest plus whatever else is on it. And there you go and they get the rest. A lot of people love reverse mortgages because it allows them to stay in their home. They are real estate rich and cash poor. Every penny they have is in that house. Why don't I like them? There might be a time if interest rates were higher, if the economic environment was different, that I would literally say, okay, I like that. They'll give me X amount of money per month for the rest of my life. That seems like a good deal. But when interest rates are as low as they currently are, I just think personally, it's a waste of money. Because Ellen, here's the thing. If you really need this for income to live, and it's the only option you say that you have without selling your home, and then something happens, all of a sudden, you get ill you have a stroke, you're in an accident, you need to end up in a nursing home, whatever it is, now you don't have the money to take care of that. You say you're in Silicon Valley. What happens if there is a major earthquake? Are you insured? We're seeing it happen. We had one in Seattle a little bit ago. We had two major ones, you know, around the Las Vegas area. Anything can happen at any time. And so is it possible that you could sell that condo and possibly invest it and give you an extra X amount of money in income for you to rent a place, for you to do something. I just have a hard time when all of your money, it seems, is in this condo and now you're going to do a reverse mortgage on it and then once you do it you are locked there and you can't make changes and then you end up selling and then you don't have the money that you should have and I don't know I just really think you should think about it would I in your situation be doing a reverse mortgage at this point in time I absolutely would not all right it is that time for the email that pissed me off big time. Not because of the person who wrote it, but because of the advice in books that this person happened to read. It's from Deja. And the subject of it is trying to break the living paycheck to paycheck curse. Good on you, boyfriend, because I like that. Also, this is from a man who's smart enough to listen to the Women and Money podcast. Remember, it's for women and money and the men smart enough to listen. And I do love that so many men are showing their vulnerable sides and they're writing in questions rather than thinking they just know it all. 
Dave just says, hi, Susie, I love your podcast. I am 23 years old. I grew up in a single parent household and my mom always had to have multiple jobs to provide for my sister and me. I want that cycle of living paycheck to paycheck to end. I want to build generational wealth so that my kids and their kids know how to handle money. I am working a corporate job now, but I honestly hate it and am hoping to not have to work in a corporate position forever. He goes on in this email because this email is over two pages long. He's purchased some books on how to be a millionaire. And in these books, it talks about how you should buy real estate and real estate and as much real estate as you can and to own as much real estate and to mortgage it to the hilt and on and on. Before I go on, have we already forgotten 2007, 2008? All these people who had all these pieces of real estate and they went absolutely belly up and they all ended up owing more on their real estate than what their real estate was worth. Have we all forgotten that already? There are many, many ways to make money and real estate may be one of them, but it is not the only way. Deja goes on to say, and this is what aggravated me. I know you have mentioned paying off a mortgage quicker or getting a 15-year mortgage can be really beneficial. However, in the book, and I don't even want to mention the book, but it discusses how having a 30-year mortgage and even doing an interest-only mortgage can be a great option. The reason was that if you can keep the balance high, you will get a bigger income tax savings since the mortgage is one of the few write-offs that we have. The book mentioned taking the equity out of the house and building it in a conservative account or life insurance plan is the way to go. What are your thoughts on that? Hear that crumpling of that paper? I lost it at that point in time. The goal of money is what? What have I always told you the goal of money is, Deja? It is what? To be secure. Do you really think owning homes that you're never paying down the mortgage on, that to do interest only, that to do this, to take out the equity in your home is going to make you feel secure? All of a sudden, you owe all of this money, and now you get sick. Something happens to you. It happens. It can happen. It happens all the time. And now you can't earn money. Now, you don't have to worry about paying income taxes because you don't have any income to pay taxes on, but oh, you sure owe a whole lot of money. I could not disagree with this advice more if I tried You don't have to have a lot of property, a lot of things, a lot of this, a lot of that. All you have to do is be financially secure. And what makes one financially secure? When they don't have debt. Debt is bondage, and you will never have financial freedom if you have bondage. And it's not about getting out of paying 
income taxes, saving money on income taxes. It's about doing what makes sense for you. How many times when I was a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch and all these strategies of how to save money on taxes and taxes, 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 because everybody knows that all of you hate paying taxes. Why don't you change your attitude? Why don't you just get that the more taxes you pay, you know what that means? The more money you're making. It's not a big deal if you plan for it. But if you continue to simply just do tax write-offs, do you really think that you take that money and you invest it? No, you don't. In most cases, you just waste it. You do this, you do that. So here you are, and you buy another piece of property. You do this. You have all of these things going on, and then we have a crash like 2006, 2007, 2008, and everything is worthless. What are you going to do, boyfriend? What are you going to do? It's not about being a millionaire by the time you are 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. It's about you being on the path to financial freedom so that by the time you retire, you have a lot of money built up. You own your home or your homes or whatever, absolutely mortgage-free. That's how you become a strong, smart, and secure person. You will never be secure if you owe a whole lot of money. So I hate the advice that was in this book. I hate the fact that you're even thinking about following it. But I love that you listen to the Women and Money podcast. And hopefully you will listen to what I am saying to you. As it is my wish for every one of you. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.